Hey, if you love the movie Halloween, we did a narrative podcast about it in 2018 called Halloween Unmasked. It was hosted by Amy Nicholson and the ringer deep dove into the entire franchise, the origins of the movie, how the first one was made, how it led to all the different sequels, how it affected the horror movie genre. It's an awesome podcast. You can go listen to it. Just go to Spotify, search for Halloween Unmasked, and you can bang it out. It's really good, really informative. Uh, we love doing it. So Halloween Unmasked, find it on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it. All that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we have a bunch of awesome pop culture podcasts right now, including The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, the Prestige TV Podcast, which is hitting all the big shows right now, as well as the Ringer Reality Show. And uh, you can check out Higher Learning with Van and Rachel as well, because they hit pop culture sometimes. Coming up, hey, Lottie, get your ass away from there. Halloween, the original. It's next. All right, Chris Ryan is here. We are tackling the greatest horror movie of all time. There aren't a lot of arguments in movies that have absolute answers. You know, we could be like, who's the best actor ever? What's the best crime movie ever? Mm-hmm. There'd be different opinions. To me, this is unassailable. It's one of the, like Meryl Streep, I think is the greatest actress of all time by any metric. We could go, give me awards, performances, characters she played. I just Memorable think she's the best. Yeah. But somebody could throw a different actress at me and it make me think twice about it. There is no counter argument. Halloween is the best horror movie ever. So what's on your, do you have like a Rushmore, like a ready-made horror Rushmore? No, it's it's probably about nine or 10. But I do okay. think one of the great things about horror movies is different ones hit you different ways, right? Like I love the original Amityville horror movie, but that might not be in somebody else's top 10. I right. think everyone would have Halloween, the 1978 version, in their top five. Well, you think about how much Halloween has informed what our idea of horror is in the first place, right? Yeah. Like the unkillable evil, the music, the vibe, the final girl, like all of these things that come out of Halloween that maybe they were parts of it were there beforehand. There's parts of it in Hitchcock. There's parts of it in Kubrick, but there's parts of it in Freakin', but there's not, it's not like this. It's not where it puts the whole package together. Yeah, I was thinking about, I wrote down, there's just a bunch of ideas that are sitting there in 1978. And the backstory is Erwin Yablins, I think is his name. He's a producer who did Assault 
on Precinct 13 with John Carpenter, John Carpenter's first movie, wrote and directed did the music for this film. And he basically went to him and was like, I have an idea for a horror movie. The horror, I feel like there's something there with the horror movie genre, just babysitter killers. Guy kills a bunch of babysitters, like go to town. But you think about this, this is 1978. The things that are in play that nobody has done in a movie yet. Halloween, the scariest day of the year. There's no movie named Halloween at this point. It's 1978. Nobody's even have a, there's no titled Halloween movie. The idea of the boogeyman sitting there. The idea of a serial killer with a mask. So that's been in a couple things, right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There was Silent Night, Deadly Night, which used to be called Black Christmas. But the idea of somebody wearing a mask where you couldn't see their face there, but not in like the super commercial way. Um, the haunted house angle, which I want to come back to when I finish this. The high school girls in peril sitting there as well. The really well done cheap indie horror movie, which the breadcrumbs had been sprinkled for that. And then the concept of just going for suspense and fear over outright gore. But going back to the haunted house thing, did your neighborhood have a haunted house? Because like when I lived in Connecticut with my mom, my stepdad, when I, when I was like eighth grade on, and I used to ride my, I had my motor sco scooter. Then I had like a modified motor motorcycle stuff. I, and I'd ride around. There was a house that had burned down like five minutes from our house. And I didn't even like driving by it. And nobody lived there for seven, eight years. And it was basically like the Myers house. But did yeah. your neighborhood have one? No, we had a haunted part of the park that mm. you you were not supposed to go into. And, and even to this day, I'm not even sure like what was the warning, but it was like weird shit happens there. There's like the kid who's been lost in there. And and you just weren't supposed to go into this part of the park. And then the stories get passed down, mm -hmm. and they get they get exaggerated. Yeah, and then you don't know. So yeah, so it hits all these different things, and then it looks out because it's got John Carpenter, who's went on to have a great career. It taps into young Jamie Lee Curtis, who's perfect as as the uh, protagonist, and then you have an audience that's like ready for horror movies. But the thing is, Chris, we they should have known this. Like The Exorcist was a phenomenon. The Omen, 1976, Carrie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It wasn't until this movie that the horror movie genre kicks in and becomes an actual vertical for So movies. what do you think that is? Is there is there something about Halloween that weaponizes that? Because one thing that all of those movies share is if you showed them to an alien and you did not ex explain the mechanics of a horror movie to them, they might watch it and be like, this is like a weird drama for 75% of the movie and then all hell breaks loose. Right. Like in The Exorcist, it's kind of like uh, some weird stuff's happening with Reagan for a while and then all hell breaks loose. And in Halloween, you rewatch it now, most of the carnage happens in the last 35, 40 minutes. Oh, yeah. It, it builds to it in a really patient way that's completely unusual. And then you think like they just put out the latest Halloween movie, which I was not a fan of. I liked the 2018 remake. Mm -hmm. I thought that was good. I was this not a fan was, of this new one either, yeah. This one's just super gory. I didn't really understand the plot. It was all over the place, and it just seemed like they were just letting Myers cook, shoot some threes, <laughs> <laughs> do his thing. <laughs> it made no sense at all. But, um, you know, you think, like, this is also rooted in this 70s time, right? Like, Carrie feels the same way to me when I watch it. Certain movies from that era, Saturday Night Fever, the hairstyles, the fact that, and Dazed and Confused tried to do this when they did a movie about the mid-70s. But there's not a lot going on in high, in high school in the mid-70s. We don't have the internet yet. We don't have cable. We don't really have anything. People just hang out. And when you're hanging out, the concept of somebody interrupting that by murdering everybody is so much scarier. When Scream updated it in the late 
90s, they basically did their generation's version of a Halloween movie. It made sense for that generation. We covered that in the rewatchables. This feels so 70s to me in the right ways, right? But yet it's timeless. So I think for on the cinematic side, there's something really interesting happening where you get a bunch of really, really, really talented young filmmakers doing these really cheap B-movies and elevating them. Because this is essentially where you get like your Scorsese's and your De Palma's and Carpenter's. Then on the flip side of it, you would probably be able to talk about this a little bit better than I would because I was like a city kid and I grew up more in the 80s than in the 70s. But I think that there's something, especially about Halloween, that captures the like nowheresville of the suburbs. And this veneer that nothing bad can ever happen. We've often kind of bullshitted with each other about like when we used to grow up, our parents would be kind of like, yeah, get out of the house. And then like, there was no oversight. There was just kind of like this, you govern yourself. And when you're watching Halloween and you're like, these three high school girls who are the babysitters or the two high school girls who are the babysitters are way more th- concerned with smoking pot and guys and sneaking around than they are with like watching the kids. That was kind of like how we were raised. You know what I mean? Like there was just a lot less um, supervision going on. And in that, freedom, there was a lot of danger, I guess. A lot could go wrong. And this this movie really exploits that idea that on these like leaf-blown streets, you would kind of be like being left alone could be the worst thing possible. Right. Well, and then Halloween, it taps into something somebody should have realized way sooner than 1978. It's the perfect day for a horror movie. They kind of even stumble into with this when we go into the research where it's the one day... Yeah, it really makes sense you could get murdered on Halloween because somebody could walk around with a fucking mask like you see in this movie. Myers is just hanging out outside the house that Annie's babysitting in with a mask on and a jumpsuit. And if you drove by, you'd be like, oh, that guy must be dressed up for Halloween. You wouldn't think like, that's a serial killer. Run. Even think today, if on October 31st, you saw a guy drive down your street in a station wagon wearing a Michael Myers mask, wearing a jumpsuit, you'd be like, what an incredible costume. Right. But if he does it on March 28th, you're like, I have to call the cops immediately. <laughs> right. Well, I remember when the H2O came out in 1998. I don't know if I ever told you this story. I was dating my future wife and the best man in my wedding, who we, one of the reasons we became best friends was we bonded over Halloween. Um, H2O comes out, super excited. I go out and I buy a gas station outfit and I buy the mask. <laughs> I go to the movie dressed like Michael Myers, walk down. It's in the Somerville theater. I go in the theater and I walk down and people are like, oh, Jesus, you know, and and I just, like, until the Were movie started. Were you by started, yourself? No, I was with my wife and my okay. friend Jeff. The point is like, I could have easily just been a murderer, right? There's like a benefit of the doubt when it's around the Halloween time where you go, oh yeah, it's got, but this is why this movie is so scary because this guy could be, and Loomis says that in the movie, he could be, they, if you tell them now, they could see him around every corner, which is like yeah. the worst plan ever. But in a way it's kind of right because everyone's wearing a mask on Halloween. We get trick or, we get a ton of trick-or-treaters every year at my house. There's been ones where I'm like, man, is that guy coming back later? <laughs> like, like, that guy's alone and has no kids and he's holding a bag. Like, is he going to kill us four hours from now? But yeah, it, uh, it ta- the other great thing they did with this, speaking of like the indie filmmaking thing, so they have a $300,000 budget. They spend half of it on Panavision cameras. Mm-hmm. So it would have a wider scope, which is two two thirty five one, whatever you say. Yeah, and so when you see uh, Donald Pleasance standing on the sidewalk after the hardware store has been robbed and he's going to find Brackett, 
and he's like standing there and you see the Michael drive by behind him in the car. That's like the kind of widescreen photography we're talking about where like you can kind of like see the entire scope of this this thing. Or an even better example, just because of how scary it is, Jamie Lee finds all the bodies, comes out of the room after she sees her three dead friends and her friend with the Judith Myers grave. I'm dead, by the way, if that happens. I just like pass out and die of shock. It's like, oh, that's my friend Annie <laughs> with her throat slit and a tombstone behind her. Oh, and right. then there's there's Bob and he's dead too. I, I'm dead. She leans against the doorway and for years, and this is one of the reasons this has had so many lives as a rewatchable, for years, when they showed it on TV with the square TVs, the camera would only be on Jamie Lee and you would lose the Michael Myers. The mask comes out of the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. On the widescreen, you see the mask come out. On the square thing, you don't see it in time and it's not as scary. And as they kept digitally re-enhancing this movie and making it better, the way he originally shot it and the fact that they spent all this money on the cameras was beautiful because the lighting of it, the mask is like you just the, the eerie reflection of that bluish white mask was a real asset with this stuff, right? And oh, absolutely. the widescreen multiple times comes into play. And I think that's the reason 43 years later, this movie is still a fucking banger. Yeah. I mean, Dean Cundy, who did the direct, who's the director of photography on this and did a bunch of, of, uh, of Carpenter's movies was like a serious dealer. Like he was like a really, really, really talented cinematographer. This wasn't like a fly by night operation. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of goofs and a lot of things, which we'll get into later. So I'll give you my brief history of this movie comes out and I'm, I already know I love horror movies, but I'm too young to go when it's, I'm nine. My, my dad and my mom are like, you're not going. This movie stayed in the theaters for a while. I'm sure. And if if you read the read some of the backstory on it, like it's the kind of movie nowadays they would blow it out for two weeks and then it either goes away or whatever. But back then they're they're just not nearly as many movies. So it was kind of around. It was in theaters, it gained some cult momentum. And then they re-released it in the uh in the summer of 79. They still wouldn't let me go. Then they did another re-release before Halloween 2 in 1981. And that was when I saw it. So I I saw it probably two years late, but at that point, the mystery of it. And my mom and my stepdad's house in Connecticut, they had WHT. Did they have that in Philly? No. It was like early cable. It was this box. The the two things you could tie to your TV were HBO and WHT. WHT would have all these first run movies. So they had Halloween and this was like summer in 1980. And it's on there. And I'm like so scared of going on there and that it's going to be on. And I remember I flicked it on once. And if you turned it on, it would just it would just be showing the movies like on a schedule. And it was like Lori at the counter with the pumpkin. And I was like, oh my God. And I turned it off. I was so scared. Like nothing was happening. So that, You were so basically that, Tommy Doyle. Yeah, I really was. So then my dad finally took me. And I was like, it was like one of the great movie experiences. So, how of my old life. do you think you were when you went was, finally? Like saw summer it. 1980, because I saw that and The Shining in the same year, and both Jesus. of them. That was it. That set the tone. Then Amityville Horror on TV, all that stuff. But um, and then Halloween two came out in '81, which by that time I'm in. I'm going to Friday the 13th. I'm going to all of them. But I'm in the whole way through. I love this movie. It's on every year. I remember they did the. It was on TV with the, with like 12 minutes of deleted scenes. So you mm-hmm. watch that, and you're like, wait, that scene's not in the movie. Where'd that come from? Keeps going, keeps going. VHS comes out. Then they have like the 15th anniversary with like deleted scenes. Like, whoa, I got to get that. 
Then it's like DVD, yeah, the 20th anniversary. Oh, Got to get that. Then the Blu-ray. So it just feels like they've been commercializing this movie really for since the summer of 80. Yeah. And meanwhile, they've made what? Like 10 movies? Of 10. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of like, to me, every time a new Halloween movie comes out, with a few exceptions, because I like some of the sequels quite a bit. It just gives me another excuse to go back and watch Halloween. And I think one of the secret things for the rewatchables is sometimes it's in the title, sometimes it's baked into the premise of the movie. But there's something really awesome about a movie that tells you what time of year to watch it. I know mm. this seems really basic, but you watch Die Hard and Home Alone at Christmas, you watch Jaws in the middle of the summer, and you watch yep. Halloween at Halloween. And it kind of actually does work when it, it's starting to get dark earlier. It's getting a little colder. The leaves are turning a little bit. Yeah, I was so excited. We've talked about this, I think, before, but when, having kids, when was the right time to show them Halloween, right? So mm -hmm. um, it, it turns out in my house, it was way too early, probably. It was like <laughs> age five. And knowing the movie so well, there's like two scenes where you got to like cover their eyes, basically, with the PJ Souls, anything with her. Uh -huh. But- um, bringing that element into their lives where then every October it's like one rewatching Halloween and it became kind of like Christmas for us. A tradition, and then, yeah. And then we live out here and where they filmed the last 45 minutes of the movie is like 15 minutes from our house. You know, it's off of Sunset on, I think it's called Orange Grove and it's the actual street and you can go on there and they've changed one of the houses. They haven't changed the other house that much. So there's one in Pasadena, right? So that's the Myers house, which okay. I've also been to. I've been to every location. Um, the Myers house is in Pasadena. It's gone. They turned it into like, it's like a real estate place. So that, that one's kaput. The street, the last 45 minutes exists and you can go on there and you can see the, the geometry of it and how oh, wow. they went back and forth and the balcony and around Halloween, they start getting a lot of weirdos like me and my kids going, <laughs> my daughter, we were in the Valley on Saturday night. My daughter's like, let's go to the Halloween house. I mean, now nah, it's too early. We'll go this week, but we're going to go. Yeah, because um, and it's so funny that this movie about a serial killer has turned into like, like a, a family heirloom for us. Yeah, well, doesn't that also speak to like the weird otherworldly university universality? I guess if that's the word of making a movie set in Illinois, shot in Los Angeles, so that right. it kind of feels like anywhere. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and we can get into all the stuff that they had to do to make it look like it was actually autumn in LA or in Illinois when they shot it. But there's something about it when you first see those leaves blowing in the beginning of the movie that's just like, I've definitely been on this street even though I've never been on this street, you know? Well, and we didn't talk about Myers either. Mm-hmm who I still think is the, the MJ of serial killers. The GOAT. I think most people would have MJ and you Jason Voorhees in the finals. NBA 75 of serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he let out the, he left off the don't breathe guy. The don't breathe guy becomes Dwight Howard. Um, yeah, now Myers has to be number one because he he comes before Jason. Jason's a ripoff of Halloween, so automatically advantage Myers. But I think um, all the stuff Myers does you know, I, it's funny in Halloween one, it's a little early. He's still, he's still feeling it out how to be a serial killer. Like there's some, some tough stabbing scenes with him, some stuff execution standpoints. Yeah. I don't know. His war isn't as high as maybe it is in other movies. <laughs> That's right. The efficiency isn't there. Yeah. No, it's not he, multiple chances to kill Laurie. It just blows it. But, uh, but you could see the raw potential and they Halloween two, which is fine. First 20 minutes, I think is great. And then it tails off. 
Halloween 3 was a mess. Season of the Witch, yeah. Well, he's not even in it. Yeah. And then five years pass, and all of a sudden, in 88, they decide to do Halloween 4. And my buddy Jeff, who was the one, one of the reasons we became close was Halloween. And there's like a lot of, I'm in college, he's in college. There's a lot at stake. We both go the same night. We have a phone call after. And we kind of wanted to like it more than we, but you you could tell we're moving into this different era with the character where it's just basically going to be Jason Voorhees with Myers. I I still stand by H2O and I, I think the 2018 one is good. Um, but for the H- most part. H2O is really, really fun. It's just like a little bit more pop and like com- comedic than the first Halloween is, you know? It's, it's definitely feels, it belongs to the late 90s mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, even like with the people that are in it, all that stuff. The The only other thing I'll mention, um, did I ever tell you the story about the blockbuster cutout? No. So I'm living with Jeff, the best man in my wedding, who I mentioned earlier. We're living in Charlestown, Massachusetts. There's a blockbuster in Charlestown. And this is in like 95. This is when whatever terrible Halloween movie came out that year, which I think was one. That might've been the one with Paul Rudd. They put this big, you remember the blockbusters put those big cutouts? Paul Rudd plays like an older version of Tommy, right? Yeah, he plays an older Tommy Doyle. Okay. So they'd have those big cutouts, remember with like, sure. So in blockbuster, watch Halloween now. And they had this awesome Michael Myers cutout. So Jeff Badger's the guy behind the counter. He's like, you guys replace these every couple months, right? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to give you my number. You tell me when you're going to get rid of this. I will come down and get it. The guy's like, okay, weirdo, fine. So we're hanging out one day. We're watching football. It's like two months later. And the phone rings. And I hear Jeff go, really? (laughs) And he sprints out of the house. And it comes back with this Michael Myers cutout thing, which then was oh in my, my living room for the entire time I lived in Charlestown. Michael Myers. And I, this is when I'm single, I'm dating, girls are coming back. And I'm like, yeah, it's my what, own what, big Halloween What were fan. some of the reactions of when girls would come back and they would see the cutout? Everyone thought it was cool. Huh. I really, you know, we moved to LA, I got rid of it. And I really have a lot of regrets because I think... I, I might have did you just put it out on the sidewalk or did you sell it? Or did yeah, you I think we it? just threw it out. Like, what, oh, I man. didn't know. It was like early, early days at eBay. Didn't know. Somewhere but, like uh, the, like Jeremy Renner from the town has a Michael Myers cut out. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy named Fitzy. Anyway, I love this movie. $300 million budget, 47 million uh, and counting. Obviously it's 300,000 for a 47 million. Yeah. Right. Right. But it spawns what? Is this a billion dollar franchise? Has to be. Uh, probably like total. Yeah, I would imagine. Unclear if Carpenter got what kind of cut he got from all of this. So I, in my reading, it seems like Deborah Hill, who co-wrote the movie with him, did get profit participation. So I'd have to assume Carpenter did. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. Um, Roger Ebert. This will be one of the most surprising ones for listeners of the rewatchables. Raj, as you know, is a big plot guy. Yeah. Four stars. Yeah. Our I don't, how could you not? If you saw it, how could you not? Quote, a visceral experience. We aren't seeing the movie. We're having it happen to us. It's frightening. Maybe you don't like movies that are really scary. Then don't see this one. He also selected it as one of his top 10 films of 1978. Nice. So when you were... When you were a kid, did your parents do stuff where they're like stuff from their era and they're like, you've got to see this. It's so yeah. funny or it's so scary. More with like Hollywood, like old Hollywood stuff. So like I would see like more classic movies like Maltese Falcon or Casablanca or something like that. Then I would 
I don't think that my parents were big horror people in the 70s and 80s. So my horror thing really kicks in when I start sneaking into R-rated movies at, mm. when they start doing multiplexes and going to see like Wes Craven movies. And then kind of going back, and this and Texas are my two favorites. I, I have this higher than Texas currently, or like, you know, yeah. in terms of estimation. But those were the two where I was like, oh, so this is what you can do with horror. Yeah. I remember my mom and stepdad, Psycho was on. So this is when I really got into horror movies after I saw Halloween The Shine. They were like, oh, just wait till you see Psycho. And I watched it and it was like, eh. Yeah. It was, fine. It was just really dated. And, it felt like a movie that was made a million years ago. I think what's so interesting about Halloween is it's really dated, but it's kind of not. See, I it's, think Halloween's closer to Psycho to me than it is Friday the 13th. Like, I think a lot of the movies that came out that I grew up with, like Friday and Nightmare, yeah, took some of the stuff that Halloween did, but then made it gorier, made the kills happen quicker into the movie. So it's like pretty much like at minute 35, the horniest person in the movie is going to get killed. Right. You know, that doesn't happen in Halloween for like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. I meant more like with Psycho, like it's black and white. Yeah. It's slow. It has, after it ends, there's seven minutes of some of the worst. <laughs> so, I mean, really, one of the all-time worst actual endings of a, of a great movie, I think, ever. I can't believe they did it that way. But Halloween, it does feel like it moves in a certain way that just doesn't feel that f long ago. I mean, the also cars, the, the pants, stuff like that feels old, but not anything else. The final few shots of Halloween are like some of the best ever. Like the way that the movie ends is so chilling. Like yeah. going back through all the, like the, the furniture and everything, all the crime scene. I wonder, do you think this is one of like top 10 most ripped off movies ever? Top five? Oh my God. All yeah. the different pieces Especially of it. Na now because this, that, this suburban it's like so Stranger Things and everything that's like an it that are kind yeah. of trying to capture it. Yeah. It seems like, and my kids love all this stuff, right? Like one of my son's favorite movies is called Summer of 84. Uh-huh. And it's definitely feels a little inspired by Halloween, but it's oh, definitely yeah. that premise of fear versus this killer's on the loose and oh, that person's got their throat slashed. It's more like the buildup of just being unsettled. That's what Halloween did really well. Myers, he spends that whole day and he's just kind of around being creepy. The whole point works. of this, it's, this movie is all about being watched and watching. It's like yeah. everything is either a shot from the perspective of Myers watching Lori or watching these, these girls from across the street or in the car or whatever, or Lori feeling like she's sensing somebody is watching her. And right. that's actually the creepiest thing. It's like when Lori thinks she sees him and he steps behind a bush or he steps behind the laundry. Like that's just as scary as what happens later in the movie. Well, we have a lot of stuff to discuss in the categories. We're going to take a quick break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, oh, why did this happen? On the flip side, let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car get in there and it smells great. And you're like, man, this is awesome. But just remember, really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. 
You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it, all that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. All right, Chris, I'm just going to warn you now. I'm going to have a few Dr. Loomis impersonations. <laughs> and you know the thing that producer Craig does when he cuts in the clip? Uh-huh. When I'm about to say, no, that's not happening this time. It's, all, I'm, it's you I'm today. doing the yeah. Loomis monologues. Right. Clear out, clear the fuck out, give me the ball, get to the right side, and let me cook. Most rewatchable scene. Loomis driving. Now, I, I guess you put the opening scene in there. Some people would for the most rewatchable scene because it's a five-minute single, right. like basically the Goodfellas shot. I have a lot of issues with six-year-old Tommy killing his sister with a butcher knife that she doesn't stand up or fight back. It's it's really Tommy. Tommy, yeah. oh, oh, it's or, I think or that Michael, part's yeah, so bad. Yeah. Or Michael, Michael yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, like just stand up. You're twice his size. Stand up and kick him. Like, what are you doing? So that, and also like, just not a great sexual performance from the young, the teenage no. guy, right? I had that in nitpicks. <laughs> like, was he a premature ejaculator? What was going on with that guy? They're up there for two and a half minutes. That whole scene. So I'm not including that in most rewatchable. Cause I, and then the parents come home, Tommy's out there or Michael's out there with the knife dripping blood. And they're like, Michael, lift up the thing. And then there, it's just like them just staring at him for 10 seconds. It's like, Next question. Where's your sister? Right. Why is there a knife with blood on it? They're just like, Michael? I, I have some problems with that scene. Most rewatchable scene first. Loomis driving to Illinois State Hospital in the rain with the nurse. With Marion, right. Yeah. Don't you think we could refer to it as him? If you say so. What are you going to give him? Thorzine. That's going to knock him out. That's the idea. Because there is the law. He's just like <laughs> rattling off monotone Loomis things. Then they show up. All the patients are just wandering around in their gowns. So they're creepy. Not, they're not nearly scared enough. It's so creepy. Are you getting out of your car with that? I'm not getting out. Let's talk a little bit about Loomis just being like, this person's so evil, I don't even want to refer to him as he. Yeah. But the only thing I'm doing is going to escort him with a nurse who seems to be more interested in chain smoking and getting back to the Red Rabbit. <laughs> right. <And> that's <laughs> you know, it. We don't have any backup. We don't have any muscle. It's just going to be us in this station wagon with pure evil. And then she she stops. Loomis runs out. He runs like 50 feet ahead. Why not just pull the car right to where I the phone know. is to be right next to him? <laughs> Myers jumps in and then Loomis gets in. He's gone! He's gone from here! The evil is gone! <laughs> He's so upset. It's like, well, it's partly on you, buddy. You knew this guy was, was, uh, was an evil dude. All right, next one. I like... Um, the three girls walking from high school, carrying their books, shooting the shit, talking 70s high school girl stuff. And then Myers comes by in the wagon. I forgot my chemistry book. 
so who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my, let's see, my French book and, well, who needs books anyway? I don't need books. I, I always forget all of my books. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really matter if you have your books or not. Hey, isn't that Devon Graham? I don't think so. I think he's cute. Hey, jerk! I might have a Speed Kills coffee mug, by the way. And uh, one of the other ones go before that, the girl, hey, isn't that Devon Graham? Jamie yeah. Lee's like, no, nah, I don't think it is. <laughs> in the Illinois State car with the fucking mask on. I'm pretty sure it's not Devon. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that whole, and Meyer stops, mm-hmm. and then it's on. Also, it's like, like the, all, all of their banter and like just kind of setting up like, the smoking cheerleader, the yeah. kind of annoying brat, and then like the bookish nerd is just like all the archetypes are there. But it's actually like I I was watching this movie with my mom and she was like, boy, this dialogue is pretty bad. I was like, I don't know. Is it bad or are we sure it's not how teenagers talk? Yeah, well, they Deborah Hill supposedly wrote all yeah. the scenes with the girls and um, she was putting in like the totally and stuff like that. The stuff with Annie, how mean she is to, uh, to Lori is really effective. Where yes. it's like, poor Lori, scared another <laughs> one away. It's just like, that's exactly what that girl would say to Lori. To- and it's also perfect. It's like, and normally you'd be like, why the fuck is she talking to Annie so much? But it's like, you're just kind of stuck with the three friends you have. Right. You know, you're not like shopping for new friends online right now. You're like, yeah, I got this like annoying brat, Annie, who's just always busting my chops, but whatever. Right. Like she lives across the street. And they're just hooking up left and right. Jamie Lee has a crush on Ben Tramer. Mentions him. They're like, oh, you like Ben Tramer. Right. Um, I like that whole part. I like when they walk. I like when the sheriff bumps into her. Who's the sheriff? A little creepy. Lee, yeah. Annie's dad. He's like, "Hey, Laurie. Everyone's entitled to one scare." Like it's like, "What are you the murderer? What, what are, what's going on with you?" I like all that stuff. Um, next one. Annie's last five minutes. I mean, her last fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah, just getting stuck in the laundry room. Myers just kind of. Floating in and around, just repeatedly seeing his face. The dog, unfortunately, dies. We'll have to bring if... the dog category back for this this episode of the Rewatchables. Yeah, <laughs> tough one, <laughs> tough one for the dog. Um, and then finally, he gets her in the car. She doesn't realize, like, hey, why are these windows? And it's a weirdly long death scene that it's, I think is it's, disturbing. It's really tough because it's, it's like, like an actual murder you're watching. If you haven't seen this movie in a while. All you're used to is the Michael Myers knife attack, and it's like. It's brutal. It's like slow-mo. Yeah, he's like trying to strangle her and then and then he's finally like, all right, fine. He breaks out the knife. I still feel like when he slits the throat, there's probably going to be a little more blood. That's probably the low budget part of it. Yeah. They didn't really have the, what do you shoot those things to shoot the blood out? Yeah. Um, One of my favorite scenes. Loomis Loomis just parked outside the Myers house for some reason. (laughs) The kids go up. Lonnie's going to go in and say, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And then like Loomis is like delighted with himself. The sheriff scares him. And Sheriff Brackett's like, what's going on here? Loomis (laughs) has already done, I could have put this in the rewatchable scene too. Loomis in the house does the whole monologue about, uh, I have it here. The, uh, this is a rewatchable scene. I'm sorry, I should have put put this in. in. 
When I, my, when I met Michael in 63, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding. Not even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized what was living behind that boy's head was purely and simply evil. And the sheriff's like, cool. Do you, I'm not going to tell the other cops yet. If I heard somebody give that monologue and I'm the sheriff, I'm like, you're right. APB. Yeah. I'm <laughs> calling the fucking Illinois state police. Like, yeah. you're really disturbed by this guy. We should do something. <laughs> the sheriff's like, come on, come on, Loomis. Don't ruin our Halloween. <laughs> so then in this one, this big mayor from Jaws energy from the sheriff. Oh yeah. Let's get the mayor from Jaws and Sheriff Brackett together. <laughs> Dr. So then, Loomis, Halloween is a big night for Haddonfield. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna lose too much money so then he runs into him again after the Lonnie scene and, the, and he, Loomis is, can tell now that Brackett's not believing him Loomis is like I, I, I watched him for 15 years sitting in a room staring at a wall not seeing the wall looking past the wall looking at this night inhumanly patient waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off death has come to your little town sheriff now you can either ignore it or you can help me stop it and Brackett just goes more fancy talk <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> He's worse than the bear from Jaws. Well, the other <laughs> question is what else is happening in Haddonfield that's taking Brackett's attention? Yeah, I guess really. The, it's like the hardware store break-in, which we know is Michael. You know what I yeah. mean? There's a couple of like petty crimes. He seems to be chalking an enormous amount of misdemeanors up to normal Halloween behavior. And yeah. I would just, I'm like, are you investigating? Like, do you have a Rico case going somewhere? Like, are you busting like an underground poker ring? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, the hardware store break-in was probably his most exciting moment in three oh, months. Oh, yeah, yeah. And by the and way, he, Myers breaks into the hardware store. He's driving around with the mask on for three hours and they're still no, settling the break-in. Everybody's just like, yeah, there it goes. All right, now we're going to get to the good stuff. Not that that stuff wasn't great. Bob goes to get a beer. As as one does. So good. And the widescreen and the HD and all this stuff really helps us see now. Because it used to be dark. You couldn't yeah. really see it. But now it's like you can fucking see stuff. You can hear the breathing. Bob takes it. Somehow stays on the wall leading to the Myers head tilt. Which I think is the single scariest moment in probably in any horror movie for me. Yeah. The fucking the head tilt is like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking lunatic. Also, just love Bob putting on the glasses right after sex. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, obviously, you get to see, man. he's fucking blind, but it's just great. Yeah. So then we get Myers. I'm including this as this is a two part scene to me. Myers puts the ghost, the ghost costume outfit. on yeah. with Bob's glasses. A little playful, Myers. Sure. You know, see, never let it himself. be said that he didn't go for a laugh sometimes. <laughs> 15 years in the insane asylum. You know, he's feeling it out a little bit. Um, and then he ends up killing PJ Souls after she's, what's the matter? Didn't get your ghost, Bob? The whole thing. Yeah. What's the matter? Can I get your ghost, Bob? <laughs> all right, all right. Come on. Where's my beer? And then she just calls Lori and turns her back. And then uh, gets strangled. I don't feel like Lori's reaction was appropriately terrified enough. And are you all right? 
Are you fooling around again? I'll kill you if this is a joke. Annie? Because she looks over, the lights are going on and off. She's like, I'm pretty sure there are two people. And but she's still in this mindset of, oh, my friends are fucking with me. Yeah. And also, I think that she's had like a pretty weird day that everybody has just told her to get over. You know, it's like she yeah. saw Michael Myers outside of her window and th- th- her friend's like, yeah, that was an old man, you know? Hmm. Last 12 minutes. I don't even know how you, this is just seems to be one continuous scene. Lori goes over to the house, which is really set up for like two minutes, like the walk across, like they really milk it, goes up, looks around on the f- lower floor, finally goes upstairs, sees the Judith Myers thing. And from that point, we get Myers with the mask out of the dark. We get the stabbing fall over the staircase. Mm-hmm. We get Myers coming down the staircase, which is like one of the funniest <laughs> Myers moments. Where he comes down with his shoulders don't move. Uh, she runs across. Nobody believes her. She gets a little Tommy, gets in the house. They run upstairs, stabs him, thinks for some reason he's dead, puts the knife right next to him, goes upstairs, gets the kids. I've killed them. You can't kill the boogeyman. Uh-oh, there he is. Goes into the closet. Closet Loomis is, comes the whole thing. I don't even know how you. That has to be one continuous I, scene. I think right? the closet is one of the great scenes in like horror movie. Is, is obviously one of the greatest scenes in horror movie history. Like it's it's up there with anything Hitchcock did. The light going on and off. Her fashioning the like the the hanger so that she can mm. poke him. Great poke by her. And then just like him waving his arms around in this like small little closet. And it's just like it's so terrifying because she actually thinks to try to distract him by opening the window by so like thinking maybe he she jumped out the window and she ties the door tight closed with like whatever and it's just so scary that he breaks through with his hands just like punching through the the wall it's amazing I'm with you. I think if we're actually cutting this up, I think the closet is the single best scene in the movie. Yeah, and she's such a great scream queen like she's so believable about how terrifying that would be. Yeah, she's kind of overqualified to be an actress whereas like in this movie, whereas The Nightmare on Elm Street Girl, which I've never been a huge fan of, kind of underqualified. Sure. Like that, she could have been better. Um, if you fa- could you in 15 seconds fashion a wire hanger like that and then no. stab somebody right in the eye? I no. feel like I would go high, like, oh shit, I missed. First now of I'm all, de- now I, I'm a dead I was person. thinking about this. The first thing I do when I get dry cleaning back is I get rid of the wire hangers. They just annoy the shit out of me anyway. <laughs> right. So I don't really have any, that many wire hangers and I definitely wouldn't be able to fix it into a knife so that I could stab Michael Myers through his eye hole in his mask. It would have been funny if he, she did that and instead of Myers like falling back and getting, then she gets him with the knife, which is the secret part of that. She's smart enough to yeah. grab the knife, stab him in the stomach. But if she did that and, and Myers just like, ow, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> reacted like a normal person. Um, the other great moment in this and this is almost its own. I think this is the single best moment in the movie when she thinks he's dead. The kids run out. I want you to go across the street. I want you to go to the McKenzie's. I want you to tell them. Go to the car. They run out. For some reason, she decides to hang out, stand in the doorway with her back turned to Myers. And it's that wide shot. And then you see Myers rise up and then turn to the left. It's fucking, I think that might be the single best horror movie moment of all time. Yeah. And it's like, you have to understand too, it's like at this point, probably 
after these decades of watching not only Halloween, but all these movies, he's just like, you're used to the, he's not dead yet or he's unkillable yeah. or he's going to come back. But I don't know. It's still really effective here where you're just like, yeah, maybe he's not dead yet. You know what I mean? And like, it, it's, it's so gripping when he jumps back up. It's so fucked up. There's this great YouTube clip of somebody who taped the audio of a theater in 1979 when everybody was watching no Halloween. Really? And it's like two minutes of that scene where she's in the doorway and then then he stands up and the whole theater is like, oh! Like, like really, and then it goes and he's, and then when Loomis comes up, and start shooting them and he finishes shooting and you hear somebody in the theater go like, shoot him again. <laughs> like, it's really good. Um, the last rewatchable scene is the very, uh, the very ending, obviously shoots him six times, looks out. He's not there. Loomis does the smirk shots of all the scenes. Um, what do you got for most rewatchable? I, I mean, it's gotta be like the final Michael chase, you know, like just that whole final Michael sequence, but especially the closet. Yeah, I think the closet, everything that happens in that bedroom, I think is the most rewatchable. If we're doing scene. like a non-horror rewatchable scene, I'd probably say the three girls like walking home from school, busting yep. each other's chops, and then seeing Michael behind the bush. Yep. All right. What's age the best? The original Myers mask, which is the best mask they've ever done for any of these, combined with the story of the mask, mm -hmm. where you know the story, but maybe some of the listeners don't. It was a Captain Kirk mask purchased for two bucks, Hollywood Boulevard. Tommy Wallace, the guy, the prop guy, um, widened the eye holes, spray painted it like a bluish white. And Hale and Carpenter wanted to make the mask, like basically make him like this faceless, kind of pale, non-human human. Yeah, and he goes on to be known as the shape throughout the rest yeah. of like the sort of the 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 series of movies. So there's originally two masks. Because they they weren't sure what they were going to do. They had this Captain Kirk mask, which was basically William Shatner, and then they had this smiling clown mask that they put red frizzy red hair on. And the thought was that's how he killed his sister. They'll bring back the clown mask. So they tested it out, and it was like too weird and creepy. Didn't didn't have the right feel. So they went with the Shatner mask. I think it was the right move. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is they threw out the mask. Never been seen since. <laughs> And then they couldn't recreate the mask because they couldn't find the right Shatner mask. Uh, uh, mask, all the stuff that Tommy Wallace did, they couldn't replicate it. So every mask subsequently, this is my buddy Jeff. This is one of his big, big, big gripes with the future the sequels. Have, have not Just been like, accurate. He's like, how hard is this? Like we can put astronauts in space. We can't recreate this <laughs> two dollar William Shatner mask. They can't make but it so from much scratch. about this movie is like a product, like a, it's like necessity is the mother of invention. You know what yeah. I mean? Like them them reusing the leaves that they used, you know, a couple of times. Like it's so right because they're in California. Yeah. Um, more would say the best the uh, the Myers head tilts we mentioned the lack of gore, which is really smart. Just calling the movie Halloween. Yeah, N not a one hundred percent no brainer. Like they could have no, called it like called Halloween it, Massacre or they could have called it the Shape. They could have called it Michael Myers. They yeah. Yeah. Opening credits are great. The Some pumpkin, the, the music. I like all the different variations of the Halloween music too. 
where it's like the one, like when he's, when Myers is in motion, it uses that music where it's like, dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. But then when it's like the Lori crossing the street music, it's like, dun, 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 dun. it's like that soft, sweet, yeah. dun, 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 dun. It's, it kind of gets you in the mood. But great job. The the score is so great. And it not really that complicated either. Like it's the scary the other one, the scary music cue they have where like you see the Myers mask and it's like <laughs> Jaws has that same thing. But yeah. Um, really good stuff all the way around. More would say the best. We mentioned this, but Michael just stalking Haddonfield all day is really good. I could have spent another 10 minutes with them. And getting to see like all around the town, like getting yeah. to see the little, like the kids' school. I guess, I don't know if Tommy and Lori go to the same school, but like the school, the, like driving around, seeing the hardware store, stuff like that. It's awesome. Although I do think you don't have to be like a spy to notice that maybe the same car has been trailing you for a while if you're right. Annie. I know they're getting high, but it's still like this, this station wagon is tailgating you. Yeah. It maybe get a little more scared. The uh, the exchange of, for God's sake, Sam, he doesn't even know how to drive a car. He was doing very well last night. I like it. I like that. They at least acknowledge how ridiculous it is that Myers yeah, was driving a car. Yeah, somebody here must have taught him? Yeah, somebody here must have gave him lessons. The Panaglide, which they used in the beginning, was a new camera, that yeah. single take camera. Good stuff. I don't know if it's top three single take scenes ever, but it's good. It's inventive. I like the... Uh, horror movie concept of nobody believing little kids as a what's age the best. Because mm -hmm. really, like, you really identify with that. Because you always have the, oh, I heard something up there and your parents never believe you. Oh, the most terrifying thing is when Lori goes to the house next door and they just turn their lights off and, cl and close their shades. I mean, that's, right. that's so scary. How'd you feel about Bob's 70s van? Because I had that as a what's age the best. <laughs> it's pretty good. I think it was amazing. Poor yeah. Bob. wonder who got the van. Um, a six-year-old child with this blank, pale, motionless face and the blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. <laughs> Fucking scary. Yeah. That's just that sentence. It's like, that's all you need. This it's guy, also like, all he, the there's scarier, nothing there. The lights are not home. They show him to us. Like, we get to see little Michael. You know, it's like, yeah. just getting to see that kid makes the, makes the shape version of him that much scarier. One of the, the deleted scenes from when they had to add the 12 minutes for the TV viewing, they're on YouTube. You can watch them. One scene is Loomis trying to convince the medical board not to let Myers out. Then the other one is him going into Myers's room. Myers is staring out a window. Same kid. And he's like, you fooled them all, Michael. And, so uh, and Myers is just staring. How would Michael fool anyone? <laughs> like, how I would you? Didn't, he was six. I do like those scenes, though. Uh, a couple more would say the best. Horny Myers. I mean, he's kind of horny. Like, he's yeah. been in the insane asylum. Like, he's not opposed to being the third third person in the room for some, <laughs> for some hooking up, for for seeing the uh, the girl in the laundry room with no pants yeah. on. And he does some kinky ghost stuff. Yeah, for sure. He's, yeah. he's basically going through puberty in the movie. Another would say the best. Lindsay, played by a future Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Kyle, Kyle Richards. Who's in the most recent Who's Halloween? In the new one. Yeah, she looked pretty good. My last one says the best, just a personal one. I did. So, first year I wrote for ESPN, they really wouldn't let me make fun of media people. Mm -hmm. It was like this big battle with me and John Walsh to like make jokes about 
Dan Deardorff and whoever. And they, okay. And could I make fun of ESPN people? I did a sports century about Michael Myers. I wrote a piece about it in 2002. You can find it. It's on, it's on the web. And I did a whole transcript of a sports century episode about Michael Myers using all the media people. Oh my and it God. was this way to make fun of all these media people. And Walsh would always tell me like, if it's satire, that's great. You can't just overtly say like Tim McCarver sucks. Yeah. You can't take a shot it, at Vessi. Yeah. Right. But if you're, if you're satirically doing something, that's fine. So I spent like three days writing this column <laughs> and I made fun of like everybody. And it was just, I was, I was like Tony Montana with the machine gun, just taking shots. What did Walsh and, say? Uh, he couldn't say anything. I, I like outwitted him. It was great. He was like, that was really funny. You, you got me in that one. So any other, what stage is the best for you? Uh, I'm going to go with the cinematography and music, but basically like Carpenter's like full filmmaking contribution, which is just incredible. Obviously he co-writes the script with Hill and she's, she's very much like one of the co-authors of the movie, but like to be the director and the, the composer for this movie is doing two of the most, the three most impressive things you could do. It's amazing. And he did the score in five days. He's like sat down at a Casio and was like, da, na, 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 na. and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> right. that's like one of the most recognizable like cues ever. It'd be like if Coppola just also did the Godfather music. Right, right. What stage is the worst we will do after this break? This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh, my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $50 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm and you can get a 360 degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, it's a certified B corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified bee corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. What's age the worst? I mentioned Myers killing his older sister, even though he was six. I still have a lot of issues with that. I just think she was like basically the same age as my daughter. I feel like my daughter could fend off a six-year-old. I don't, I don't care. Even if she's sitting down. What's age the worst in a weird way? Jamie Lee, the stunt casting of her being Janet Lee's daughter hmm. now doesn't matter. But in 1978, it was a big deal. Psycho 
had only been out oh, 15 yeah. years. So people it was a now massive... don't know that though. Right? Yeah. In 1978, it was like, wow, Jamie Lee, she's Janet Lee's daughter. Holy shit. Uh, mentioned Myers struggling with some of the killing in this movie. He hadn't really formed in a shape. I, I wrote down, he's a, li- a little bit of a James Wiseman stage. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the Luca, raw tools are there. Luca after a summer in Slovenia, you know, <laughs> just a little, not as much lift as you want. So there's this whole sexual subtext of this movie, which a lot of people have written about. Yeah. Two different things. One is about, the, there's a whole feminist thing. There's a lot of stuff on there. Then there's a whole sexual subtext thing. And it's about how the virgin survives, but the virgin's weirdly flirting with the serial killer. And even like she has that scene earlier on where she sings, I wish I had you all alone, just mm-hmm. the two of us. And Myers is like, Ugh, uh, like he's in this. So it's they're kind of circling each other. She keeps dropping the knife. She, first she has like the, the, the phallic knitting thing. Then the phallic, big phallic knife, then the phallic wire hanger. And she mm-hmm. keeps like leaving the the penis proxies next to Meyer so he can keep coming back and they're doing this like heavy flirting thing. Carpenter leans into this. Carpenter said, the one girl who's the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing this guy with a long life. She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that killed him. Not because she's a virgin, but because all that sexually repressed energy starts coming out. She uses all these phallic symbols on the guy. I don't know if I'm buying this. Yeah, I don't think they put enough thought into this. He's whistled a couple of different tunes with this. So, like when it first came out, or or early on when when people started really theorizing about this movie, and it was, you know, that this is sort of one of those early test balloons of like, if you're sexually active, that just means a death sentence in horror movies, and it's like the good girls who live. That's what I I tried to tell my daughter. He was just kind of like. Yeah, it's just that she she was the least concerned. She was the least distracted because she didn't have a guy over, you know? So yeah. it's really just practical. Like, Lori was just, you know, more concerned with her surroundings than than Annie and uh, Linda were. So she she lives. And then I think as, as, like, more and more people have kind of more deeply extracted meaning from the movie, I think Carpenter is more, like, kind of gotten into, like, the sexual imagery of the movie. I think to me, the most disturbing and also effective thing is the triggering event for Michael is that his sister is having sex. And that's like what sets him off into this, this rage. And that's fucked up. That's like really, really, really disturbing, but it's pretty, it's pretty self-evident. And he obviously sees Lori as a proxy for her. Here's where this all falls apart. So do you, do you, in the Halloween universe, does Halloween 2 exist for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. Is that you have to understand that when they were making franchises for in, me and Bill's era, they were not giving as much attention to like, does this all lock together and click and make sense? In yeah. one movie, they would do something, then be like, you know what, let's bring this person back, but like, let's retrofit that Lori is somehow related to Michael or that this is happening or that this is happening. And it's all basically like, spit and dental floss. It's not real like construction of a story, right? Well, where it gets disturbing though is Halloween 2, it's revealed that's uh, Loris's sister. Yeah. And then H2O, same thing. It's my brother, Michael. So then what do we do with all the sexual repressed shit from Halloween 1? So that's right. like with the brother and the sister. Now what are we, we're getting into fucking Pornhub territory. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I just feel like th- this has been a moving, moving goalposts on this whole thing. 
Um, There's something about horror movies that I think really draw people to like basically like do these deep, deep dives on them and deep dives into like, why do we find this scary? Why is this something that's effective? Like, why is it that, you know, in, in the 80s, we were like, yeah, if these people have like walked off together to have sex, that definitely means they should die. Like, that's right. crazy. But that's how we were basically like conditioned to think back then. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it was like not even back the, then. I would say yeah. through the '90s, maybe even the 2000s. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't personally feel like they put enough thought into that. I think they made this movie in 20 days. Yeah, three baby. There are three female babysitters. Like, Let me ask you, babysitters. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's the. <laughs> what movie. if she's sexually repressed? It's like no. We had the three characters, and the third one makes it, and the yeah. other two don't. Uh, more would say the worst. So most of the sequels. I don't know. If if it were up to me, you would have Halloween one. I'm fine with a Halloween two, even though it's pretty flawed. I do I th I think Loomis does some of his best stuff in Halloween two. Um, and then I would go right to H2O and then I would go right to the 2018. I think I'm good with those four. With that said, I do enjoy Halloween four. Okay. The return of Michael Myers. Yeah, I like Halloween four. I think it's good. Season of the Witch has its defenders. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's like there's people out there who think it's like a cult classic. My buddy Jeff has been trying to get it going for years, and just over happening. and over again, trying to get. Eh, have you watched it? I'm like, no, you're not roping me into this. It's not happening. Any other would say the worst for you? No, it's all. All of this is nitpicks for me. We can get. Yeah. Oh, we're getting there. <laughs> Casting what ifs. So, Pleasance was the third choice. Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, mm -hmm. both turned it down because the pay was too low. Christopher Lee, when I was a kid, I'm older than you. The creature double feature, like all that. Christopher Lee was Dracula and he was like the scariest person I knew from my TV set as a child. So if he had been Dr. Loomis, that would have been kind of weird casting. But, Cushing, um, Cushing was coming off of Star Wars and right. I think was a little bit, it was, he had a little bit of that, like, I don't know if it was exactly an accurate analogy, but a little bit of that campaign energy where you're coming off of a finals team yep. and now you think you can talk shit to LeBron, but it's like, Peter Cushing, you might want to take this this Dr. Loomis role, you know? <laughs> well, and if he had taken it, Star Wars Halloween back to I know. back, that's pretty iconic. They get they end up with Pleasant, who had kind of peaked as a Bond guy, but he'd been around. He'd been- Yeah, he's in Great Escape. He's a real guy. Yeah. Definitely, there's some funny stories about him. Like, he hosted Saturn Live in 1981, and I, I think the is considered to be like one of the uh, weirdest guest hosts they've had. It's in some of the oral history. Might have had a couple cocktails that week. Um, I think he was known to imbibe from time to time, but ends up somehow surviving the Halloween 2 explosion and getting to Halloween 4. He's in 5. They CGI'd him for this last one, so he keeps going. Uh, and then the other casting would if Jay Carpenter wanted to cast Ann Lockhart, who is the daughter of June Lockhart from Lassie, but she was in other stuff. So Jamie Lee they just kind of were like, fuck it. Her mom is in psycho. Let's there's, do it. There's one other great casting what if, though. Oh, yeah. I'm about to get to it. PJ Souls dating Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Quaid was supposed to be Bob, but <laughs> couldn't film it because he was doing another movie. We almost said Dennis Quaid is Bob. I know. That would have been amazing. Dennis Quaid with those glasses. PJ Souls would be... There should be a podcast for people like PJ Souls to just tell stories of... <laughs> Shit like when they were dating Dennis Quaid and then they she dumped him for, I don't know, Mickey Rourke. There's got to so, be good ones. There's a great story where like at a screening for the movie, 
And I think she has the line, what is like, Linda has the line where she's like, like what you see or something like that. Yeah. And some guy in the theater was like, oh yeah, I do. And, <laughs> oh, no. and Dennis Quaid was like, should I get, no, should I go fight this guy? Oh, and she God. was like, no, don't worry about it. Well, she went on to uh, be in Stripes. She's yes. been in multiple rewatchables and was in Carrie. Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. It's got to be the sheriff. Charles Cyphers, Sheriff Brackett. He was in The Fog. He was in Assault on Precinct, uh, Precinct 13. Major League. Mm -hmm. He's in Major League. I think he works with the owner. Oh, no so, way. Really? Yeah, that's that guy. Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word for overacting. It's got to be PJ Souls, right? Come on, Bob. Didn't I get your ghost? <laughs> Like I mean, the, gig the giggling's a little overacting for me. Annie, Annie really goes for it in some of her, like, really, mm -hmm. like, like, and I think that you could also have, like, a, a, a junior Vincent Hanna award goes to Tommy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> Vincent Hanna Jr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little Vince. <laughs> yeah, Little Vince Award. The uh, Deanne Waiters Award. Our nominees are Annie. I think she's, she might be in it too much. It's pretty, it's, it would be hard to give it to anybody else but Annie. She might be in it too much, though. She's like the fourth lead of this movie, right? Yeah. I, so I, I would say one of my nominees for, uh, for Dion would be um, uh, Nancy Stevens' Marion Chambers, the nurse. The I had her. Nurse. I had Lonnie. Yeah. I think the winner is the cemetery guy. Who never finishes the story <laughs> with the Canadian tuxedo? Yeah, the guy, is it the guy? really strong? Ninety seconds of and he got to the axe, blah blah blah, and then Lewis is like, "Where are we?" Yeah, it's just it cuts off the story. But I thought that guy was really strong. Ninety minutes for him. Recasting couch. Fuck that. I'm not touching this movie. It's perfect. No way. Half faster internet. The research. only thing I would say, I was going to ask you this. Okay, I'm ready. Could we find somewhere for Kurt Russell in this movie? Hmm. Bob. Or, or maybe the sheriff, or is that too cool? Like, is that, is that mean, is, is, he, is he too cool if he's the sheriff? If he's Brackett? I think it's Bob. I think okay. that's, I think Brackett's got to be older because it's got to be Annie's dad. Right. Half-assed internet research. So the story that Carpenter crafted, he toured in college a psychiatric hospital. I don't know why. And he met a child who stared at him with, quote, a look of evil and it terrified me. And that's what led to the blackest eyes and all that. So he... Fed that off. They shot the film out of sequence because they had to do it in 20 days. So Carpenter created a fear meter so Jamie Lee would know where she was in the story and what kind of terror she would have to exhibit. The original script is called The Babysitter Murders. The events took uh, place over several days. They made it all one day for the budget, which, of course, putting in Halloween, that's like that makes the movie. Yeah. You need to get lucky with this stuff, Chris Ryan. Um. You mentioned how the movie was shot in Southern California. Uh, they had to reuse the leaves, all that stuff. You can see palm trees. You can see California license plates all over the place. If you really I think look there's, hard. There's a point where, like, I think the hardware store is on Genesee, which is just like a street in LA. Yeah. 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 Um, the backstory was after Yablins and our guy Mustafa Akkad. God, you got to love When Mustafa. are we doing the Mustafa Akkad narrative podcast? He's everywhere. <laughs> so they get Carpenter. They pay him $10,000 for writing, directing, scoring the film. Him and Deborah Hill start it. Yablin says, let's do it Halloween. And then Carpenter said, Halloween night, never been the theme of a film. My idea was to do an old haunted house film. Crazy that nobody thought of this. Mm -hmm. The haunted house idea, just sitting there forever. 
Um, they wrote the script in 10 days. Hill was raised in Haddonfield, New Jersey, so they called it Haddonfield. They took street names from Carpenter's hometown in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Lori Strode, allegedly the name of an old Carpenter girlfriend. Michael Myers, one of the producers of Assault Precinct 13. And then Tommy Doyle was a rear window homage, and Dr. Loomis was a psycho homage because it was Dr. Sam Loomis. And then uh, Sheriff Lee Brackett, Lee Brackett, famous screenwriter, wrote a bunch of adaptations of Raymond Chandler movies and uh, worked on Empire Strikes Back, I think. They rented the 1978 Ford LTD station wagon from the Illinois government for two weeks. The wagon was auctioned off by the rental company in 1981. A man left it in a barn with the tailgate window down for 37 years. Somebody else bought it, restored it, and now has the Halloween wagon. And I can't tell you how pissed I am. Oh my God. I want the Halloween wagon. I'm, I'm finding this guy. I'm getting this thing. I just want to drive around LA with the Halloween wagon. Do you, do you ever see that site? Bring your like it's like bring your trailer. It's basically oh yeah, bring your trailer. Like, bring your trailer. Yeah. I, I mean, like, how, what would you, what would be the Halloween wagon would mu- have to go for like ninety five thousand dollars at this point, right? Yeah, I think it's got to be a hundred thousand dollar car. Done. Um, two homes on Orange Grove Avenue were the two homes I mentioned earlier, um, and that's because the street didn't have a lot of palm trees. It's really cool. So if you go, if you're on Sunset and you're driving basically between Sunset and Franklin, mm-hmm. it's like three or four blocks and it's like the third of the four blocks. So it's like, it, that feels very neighborhoody. It's weird. It's like this is that, one section. Is that where we started the ringer? Is it that, no, that neighborhood no, no. or is it's it farther west? Further away. It's toward okay. kind of going toward uh, actual Sunset, like toward the Chateau Marmont. Oh, okay. Apex Mountain. Would you go here for John Carpenter or Escape from L.A.? I bet Escape from New York. I think I'd probably I go, go Escape from, from New, York. New York. I would, yeah. but I would say that in terms of like putting together an MVP performance, I mean, I know he does the Escape from New York music too. This is a pretty incredible job. Jamie Lee, no. I think it's probably trading places. Right? She's in a movie with Murphy and Ackroyd. Probably I would say True, crushes. Li- True Lies is like her apex. Oh, True novel. Lies is a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, you're That's right. like the biggest movie she's ever been, right? Michael Myers, I think you can make a case for H2O for him. 20 years of nostalgia at this point, two generations, right. some real buzz. The movie crushed. It did really well in the box LL office. LL and Hartnett. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was in the middle of stuff. Haunted house movies. So you do you consider this a haunted house movie? No. Or do you consider I, this I a say, slasher flick? I think it, it, it dips into the haunted house DNA pool. Not totally. PJ Souls, I would still say Stripes. Mm-hmm. Halloween. So you, I mean, I, I was, I was racking my brain trying to think of a better example or better, like a moment where Halloween would have been bigger. I think it's like perpetual apex mountain for Halloween. Yeah. Nobody will ever steal the Halloween movies corner. Well, it's like, if you say the name of a holiday, the first thing you think of is this movie. You made the key point. There's like seven movies ever that you have to watch at a specific time of the year. And most of them are holiday movies, except for this movie. That is a Halloween movie. Yeah. Movie serial killers. Probably yes. Yeah, there's this, there's him. It just gets ripped off for 43 years and counting. Yeah, I mean, the only person who I would kind of put in the same category is like, or up, up against him is Lecter. Mm. And he doesn't really do much. You know what I mean? He doesn't do a lot of killing in, in that, in silence. 
Lecter and Myers are next to each other in cells. What happens? I think Lecter gets him to swallow his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Migs. <laughs> Picking nits. We mentioned the premature ejaculator at the beginning. I don't know what happened there, but man, that guy finished fast. Although, I mean, it seems like that's the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, good job by him. Yeah, that premature ejaculation saved his life. When Michael goes to the school and he follows Tommy in the station wagon, the passenger side window is now intact. Yeah. Because he smashes it to get steal the car from the nurse. To take Marion out. The window yeah. is fine. So I don't know if he went to a body shop and fixed yeah. the window, but <laughs> all of a sudden that car has a window again. All right, let's really dive into it here. So Myers finds the Haddonfield graveyard. He finds his sister's grave, his tombstone, her Pulls tombstone. Pulls the tombstone out of the ground. No map at night. Mm-hmm. Knows where the graveyard is. Knows where the grave is, and then pulls the heavy, heavy, heavy tombstone out of the out of the ground, carries it to his car, and puts it in the back seat. And he's been incarcerated this entire time, so it's not like mom and dad are coming by and being like, "Just so you know, when you get out, like it's it's ten steps to the left, and then you go up." You know, it's like he doesn't know. He has no ways. Has <laughs> it been in Haddonfield since he's six? I just have some questions. Um, another one. This was pointed out by a mailbag reader to me, and I think like 10 years ago when I was writing for Grayland. Annie's father's the sheriff. Mm -hmm. And the sheriff and Loomis, for whatever reason, decide, let's not tell anybody. We don't want to cause a panic. Maybe tell your daughter about the homicidal maniac that's on the loose. I'm positive I would tell my daughter, like, hey, you're not babysitting tonight. There's a fucking serial killer out there. Yeah. Tell uh, your friends. It's like what? It's like a five block drive just to swing by and be like, you're good, right? Yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm going to call every half hour to make sure you're okay. Um, terrible, terrible job by that guy. I'm not saying he deserved to have a bludgeoned to death daughter, but it's got to be in his conscience after that. Could I have done more? Could I have prevented her from being by herself in a house with a fucking serial killer out there? Um, the sheriff asked Loomis, should we get the word out via TV and radio? Via yeah. TV and radio. And Loomis says, no, you can't do that. They'll see him on every street corner. And then they decide, well, we'll just keep an eye out for him. There's like <laughs> Loomis, the sheriff, two cops. What's wrong with seeing him on every street corner? What can we can we talk this out a little bit more? Yeah. So like is that a Lo- bad thing? Is Loomis's concern that people will get so freaked out they'll just start calling and be like, I saw this guy in my backyard, I saw this guy down the street, and they won't be able to find the actual Michael who they don't find anyway. Right. Right, Haddonfield, pretty big town. <sighs> Myers spends the entire day in Halloween brazenly driving around in a green station wagon that's with been a, reported w- stolen. With Illinois State like mental institution Illinois tags. Illinois State yeah. Hospital tags yeah. on the side of it. He goes, he goes to the local high school. He goes to his old house. He goes downtown to the hardware store. Where is he parking this thing? Is he feeding the, thing, is he feeding the meter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? What's? Nobody notices anything. Creepy green car. It says for official use only tag. And there's a fucking guy driving a mask. Yeah. Not one red flag raised in the town of Haddonfield. A lot of blood on a lot of people's hands, Chris Ryan. <laughs> Myers has the mask and all the knives and stuff from the hardware store for hours. And then sheriffs, they're like dealing with the alarm and the break-in. And he's just like, that's oh, just kids. 
Kids always stealing knives. Three hours ago, you just got there? What the fuck were you doing, Sheriff Brackett? Terrible. I'm with you. Mayor Jaws and Sheriff Brackett should uh, have a website <laughs> together. All right, this is a big one. Dr. Loomis goes to the Myers house. He's staking it out. See if Myers comes back. He's there for hours, right? Kids come in and out. At some point, he just turns around and he sees the station wagon. What the fuck? What were you doing for four hours? You never just turned around and looked to see if there are any cars in the street? He's not like, hey, that's station wagon. Yeah, right. Jesus. And then, um, do we think Michael Myers cut the power or the phone lines in one of these houses at the end? Uh, no. For which one? For the house that Annie was babysitting. Did he kill the power at some point? It's just pitch black at one point. I thought like the maybe. No, I don't think so. I think the light just okay. goes out. Yeah. Right. He cuts the phone line though, right? Does cuts he? the phone line. Yeah. Because because Lori picks up the phone and there's nothing and she slams so it back down. Where did he learn telecommunications? Well, that's one of my nitpicks. Where did he learn that in the insane asylum? How to cut a phone line? I don't know how to do that now. I'm a 52 year old man. So like, here you go. He's like, let's just say they've got some classes at the asylum, right? Like, hey, we're just gonna go give keep these guys busy. It's all elective. Michael, what do you want to sign up for? Uh, evasive driving tactics, <laughs> hardware store layout, you know, phone, phone line cutting and, <laughs> and grave, grave like, removal. Where, where are the phone lines for, from Bob Bell? Yeah. Th those are all the things I'm up on. And it's just like, wouldn't you, that would in and of itself raise some red flags. Well, this is the biggest nitpick of all the nitpicks. And we're going to get to it in unanswerable questions. But him actually driving the car. Just yeah. hold that thought. Any, do you want to plant your flag on any other nitpicks before we keep going? There's just one. And it, it's not that I dislike it. I just want to point out that in no way, shape, or form does Annie cover herself with hot butter in the scene where she strips naked in the kitchen. Where she's just like, oh no, I got butter everywhere. It's like, that's like porn movie setup. Like, it's like nobody, she just got like a little bit of butter and then she needs to go wash all of her clothes because of that. Right. It's yeah. a real like, we need to get her naked and then also get her vulnerable in the laundry room. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I gotta say, I never really thought about it, but you're right. Why, why the fuck is she getting hot butter out for, who's that, Paul? <laughs> yeah. What a night for Paul. What was going on in the 70s? Is this hot <laughs> butter? I have uh, one more nitpick that I realized like 10 years ago once I had kids. All the parents are like out. Yeah. Where the fuck are they? Is there some Halloween party? Not only are they out, when I think when either Aunt, when Annie gets to her house to, to, to start babysitting, the parents are like, hey, see ya. They're like out the door. No, like, so here's the thing she's eating. Don't give her any sugar after nine. Try yeah. to like keep down the scary. Where are movies. they going? We'll be back at 10. Here's the phone number of the place we're going. They're like, cool, you're here. We're going to a fucking key party. It yeah. might get weird. I might come home with a different wife tonight. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's the ice storm. <laughs> ice storm crossed with Halloween. Listen, this is why it's so ridiculous. On Halloween, you always stay home because you have people coming to your house and trick or treating and like you don't. You kind of want to be there for that. It's one of the cool things about owning a house. And, you know, you don't know if you just kind of want to monitor it. Your own kids are out. Like, there's no scenario where you're like, all right, it's Halloween. Mom and I are going to the country, the Haddonfield Country Club. We should be back by 12. Hold the fort for Halloween. Yeah. That's not happening. Nobody I, does that. 
I would actually love to see a Halloween movie that's just from the perspective of the parents at some party doing quaaludes. <laughs> and then they find out. Hey, guess what? <laughs> that would be that would be like a funny scene for an indie movie where like people in LA it's like, what are you up to? What do you, what movie are you working on? All right, you know the movie Halloween? I'm writing a movie from the parents' perspective where they just go out and it's fucking off the hook and they're in a country club and it's like a key party and yeah. they're doing drugs and they don't realize their kids are all being murdered. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Could this be made as a 10-episode Netflix show? No. Don't even Abs- think about absolutely it. Absolutely not. And the real answer is... It's kind of what Netflix has tried to do in a bunch of different formats with Stranger Things and Fear Street, and they're they're basically taking the blueprint. Yeah, but of you going backwards in time and making some sort of scary thing. I I mean, it would be pretty cool if they made a movie like this, but turned it like a series like this, but like most of it was a high school show until Michael Myers shows up in like the middle of the season. You know, I, I was going to say. I don't think they should do this, but I would rather they tried this idea than do another Halloween movie where Myers yet again survives some sort of, yeah. What if this is like Euphoria season three? (laughs) (laughs) It's Michael Myers shows up. (laughs) Casey Bloys is like, we decided to take the show in a different direction. All right, probably an answer both questions. These tie together. They're They're all about the driving in the car. So Myers steals a car, effortlessly drives away. Yeah, in a rainstorm. In a rainstorm. Even though there is no way he has ever driven a car before. He's been locked up for 15 years. So preposterous, they have to bring it up in the movie with what I mentioned earlier where Loomis does say, he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. It doesn't stop there, Chris Ryan. Haddonfield's 150 miles away. They've just driven yeah. to the Illinois State Hospital. So even if you're starting with the full tank of gas, now you're going, now you're coming all the way back. So he A, he's got to know how to get from this hospital to Haddonfield, which I don't, I just don't think any six-year-old would know how to do. Now he's a grown-up six-year-old. But unless he's just sat in that room for 15 years thinking about like trying to remember the map and locations. It's the only way it makes sense. Bill, also, I'll just mention that I looked up the average 1970s cars miles per, miles per gallon. Oh, I'm glad you did this. Okay. It's 11 miles. So there's no fucking way he does this without having to get a refill. 150 miles back and forth. <laughs> does stop to kill the guy at the... What, yeah. So could you argue, did he get gas at that gas station? So he knows how to get gas? He went in when he was six. <laughs> Who showed him how to get gas? I don't know. Well, so 300 mile round trip. Then he's in Haddonfield and he's driving around all day. He he goes to his old house. He goes to a graveyard. He goes downtown. He breaks into a hardware store, goes down to the high school, starts stalking the three girls, continues to stalk to them, follows them to their babysitting gigs. So this car is basically a Tesla. Yeah. It's a futuristic car. Um, And I don't know. I don't know how you could come up with an answer for this other than he got gas when he stole the guy's clothes and killed his whatever. Did he somehow pull off getting gas? The other thing that would just be hilarious is if we were doing a, a remake of this, we we table 
okay, so let's say you and I are at a party together and you meet me and I'm an independent filmmaker and <laughs> I tell you about my idea for doing the parents are at a key party and they find out that Michael Myers has assaulted their house. And you're yeah. like, I don't know, I don't see that. And I'm like, okay, here's a new idea. <laughs> it's a movie about uh, a nurse who works at a mental institution who for kicks just gives kids who kids in the asylum driving, driving lessons. lessons. Yeah. Just <laughs> and in explains case. all the vagaries of how to fill up the tank and pay, pay for gas. Does he have cash? How's he buying gas? So here's why I put this in unanswerable questions. Because he also gets to Haddonfield without knowing how to get to Haddonfield. If he's really the, the boogeyman, that means he's basically Satan, right? Mm-hmm. That means Satan's guide in the car. Mm-hmm. You think Satan can get more than 11 miles per gallon? So Satan has figured out how to tell Myers how to get gas. Satan's the one that cuts the phone lines when Lori all of a sudden can't make calls. Like there is like a satanic force going on here. That's how he's allowed to be stabbed and whatever and mm -hmm. shot six times because Pure evil. Yeah. he actually is Satan. That's where I've landed with the gas thing. So Satan knows how to drive. Yeah, he's Satan is basically controlling him. Sure. That's uh, the I, only explanation. It's uh, a better explanation than any other explanation. <laughs> What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? I don't think there's ever been a more obvious answer. Beyond the station? You don't want the station wagon? It's got to be the original <laughs> mask, considering it doesn't even exist. I mean, right. that would be... Can you imagine having the original mask from this movie? I would like to get Judith Myers' tombstone as a headboard for my bed. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Phoebe, good news. <laughs> Just like, what is that? <laughs> um... The mask or the station wagon, or I think would be two of the best movie props you could probably buy. Yeah. Loomis's raincoat, a little underrated. I don't know why he's wearing a raincoat. It's not raining for the entire Halloween. I don't know why. They could have given him like the uh the Tom Wamba Gans. Wamba like, Gans, yeah. Rich like guy vest. Fleece? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fleece yeah. vest could have worked for him. Who won the movie for you? John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Co-write, direct, direct score. It's hard, hard to think of anybody else. Curtis is right there with him, but it's it's got to be Carpenter. Well, if we missed any nitpicks, just tweet at Chris. <laughs> Chris Ryan 77. Tweet us a couple nitpicks. Maybe we could round up end of the year. Okay. I don't think we did. I think I've seen this movie. I realized I've seen this movie at least once every year since 1980. I got a nitpick. What's your nitpick, Craig? Okay, so he has one knife, right? Or does he have two knives? Well, he steals knives, plural, from the hardware store, apparently. So we assume he's carrying multiple? Yeah. I, maybe he's in, maybe one's in the car. Yeah. Because he brings one upstairs to kill, to go after Jamie Lee Curtis. And then Jamie Lee Curtis gets it. And then after the whole thing where he falls out the window, they cut back to downstairs and there's another knife laying on the floor there. So I think that's an editing error. Yeah. I think they shot that and they forgot yeah. to clear the knife out and didn't realize it. There's there's some continuity errors in this. I think that was one of the this errors. This is the, the Good catch up, Craig. I'm proud of you. It's eagle-eyed by you, Craig. I would say that the thing about this movie is that everything that would be a weakness for other movies is a strength for this movie. Like right. They just figure out a way to make all the limitations that they had into a strength. It's like, yeah, you know what? You don't have to pay for another guy to score the movie. I'll score it. Okay. Great. I have one of the most iconic soundtracks of all time now. You know, it's just like everything just worked. 
Can I ask you guys one more question? Yeah. It's kind of a pseudo unanswerable question. So, you know, when Lori is out screaming, banging on the door, trying to get help and the people shut the blinds on her. Yeah. yeah. If it was Halloween 2021 in, in a week from now and somebody, some girl, 18 year old girls outside your house screaming bloody murder. Do you open the door? Hmm. Um, I, I would. You would? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Would you immediately, would you think you were getting like scammed? Would you think that there was like- I need more info, yeah. Yeah, I think I might be a little- Yeah, Nowadays, I don't know if I'd open the door. The 70s were weird because I remember trick-or-treating in Brookline in the late 70s and there was a kid and you never knew if this was a real story or not, but this was a story traveling around around there was a razor blade in the apple and the kid bit into the apple and a razor blade. And then there was like this whole like, hey, be careful when you're out there. It was the first time I even had concept of- Oh, I should be scared of other people. Mm-hmm. They just, we did really bad advertising back in the 70s, Chris. Stranger danger is so bad now. I don't think anyone opens that door for almost any reason. I feel like yeah, she could have like, tried three more houses, though. It's also, I think that it's kind of unrealistic to think that in Haddonfield, you wouldn't know, oh, your neighbor, the Doyles are out and that's their babysitter. Like, that's I just true. felt like when I was growing up, there was like a real awareness of like all of your neighbors. And like a lot of the time, there was like even like, oh, you're like, I can see that like they've gone out tonight. It would just be, I, I just feel like it's a little unrealistic that they wouldn't call the cops. Yeah. Maybe those neighbors were upset that they didn't get invited to the key party at Haddonfield Country <laughs> Club. <laughs> they, they, they didn't get the invite. They were just home. We, by the way, before we go, we didn't talk about Dr. Loomis enough. Okay. One of my favorite characters ever, like ever. Um, oh no, Craig, stay on. I wanted your take on this. Oh, okay. Um, I think from an unintentional comedy standpoint, almost unsurpassed. He's so fucking funny in this movie, unintentionally, I would say 20 <laughs> times. Um, I He's such a bad doctor because like what Sheriff Brackett says to him is like, well, if, if it is true, God damn you for letting him out. It's like pretty good point. Like, yeah. Yeah. If you've really felt like this guy was the spawn of Satan, maybe do your job better, fucking Dr. Loomis. Um, but I really liked how committed he was to the bit of, you don't understand how frightening this guy is. And then it actually happens. Craig, what were your Dr. Loomis thoughts? I just can't believe he hung out on that block for five hours. Never heard a scream, never heard anything. Just sat there and stared at the house. Didn't go anywhere. Didn't roam, catch one of the girls screaming in her house. None of that. Didn't hear anything. So for the geography of the, of Haddonfield. Yeah. The Myers house is right around the corner from the Strode house, right? Yes. Yeah, she walks to it in the beginning. But then of the, movie. the Doyles and uh the the Kyle Richards house, that's like across town because when they drive to those houses, it's like they start driving at dusk and then they get there in the middle of the like in dark, right? So how did Myers get from he leaves his car in the Myers house, but then goes all the way across town? You think Uber? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Also, where are the trick-or-treaters? I think that it's like, it, it seems like it's more of like they, they're doing it before sundown. Because the kids are already out when Lori's going home. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think when you make a movie in 20 days, you're going to cut a couple corners. <laughs> and in 1978, maybe not expect an hour and a half long podcast. People aren't sitting there with Google Maps being like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not really tracking for me. I think they were just hoping this movie made the money back. Uh, All right, that's it for Halloween. 
Chris Ryan, great to see you. Good to see Craig you. Craig Horlbeck produced this movie. I'm glad you liked this movie, Craig. I think this was like, what, the third or fourth oldest movie we've done, Chris? We did Butch so we Cassidy. Did we did Exorcist. Uh, Jaws. Yeah, Jaws and, and this, yeah. And yeah, Butch Cassidy, I think, is the oldest, right? Wow. There you go. All right, we'll see you on the Rewatchables next week.